This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. Joining me this week, one cool cat, cooler than cool, and another slightly less cool cat, Kate Lamphier. Which one am I? Uh, we'll, we'll figure that out uh, as the episode goes on. Uh, and I'm also joined by Brian Murray. Meow. Oh my gosh. All right. I made a mistake <laughs> with the opening of this episode. I just want to say before we get into things, episode 300 is coming. Uh, it's going to be something crazy we've got some announcements that are coming and some things that we're going to just be changing up with the show so i want to ask you the question where will you be when episode 300 lands i hope it's on discord listening live with us uh we're going to announce the official date we've got some minisodes kind of swapping in that might change up the date that's actually happening but episode 300 is coming because we're on episode 295 of i read comic books and i have to ask this legally mandated question which is how have you been how have comic books been let's start with you brian I've been pretty good. Um, Nick's not here, so I'll give you your West Michigan weather watch. Thank uh, you. Thank you. It's hot. It's hot, hotter than a motherfucker outside, <laughs> uh, as as the saying goes. Comics, on the other hand, are very cool. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, my God. Anyway, uh, you know, I'll just pretend I didn't do that. Yeah, that's all right. I, I, uh, I read uh, Spider-Geddon. Uh, it's number, I think it was one through five. It's mm-hmm. the, the collected edition, but I remember reading the first couple issues of this when it was first coming out because I'm obsessed with the spider verse mm-hmm. and I never actually finished it. Uh, I don't know why it might've been one of those books that like, I didn't know was happening. So I didn't put it on my pull list or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I finally was looking for something to, uh, perk me back up after reading uh my friend Dahmer and settled on this uh basically it's it's the the energy vampires that feed on spider people are trying to get back into the world where the spider people are uh and hijinks ensue it's a very cool concept and it's not I wouldn't say that I didn't like it it's not that it was necessarily done bad it just didn't stick with me like Mm -hmm. i'm already forgetting things about this book that i read a couple days ago yeah i i remember this being a big deal and then it just disappearing like who was on this christos gage was on was the writer on this jorge molina uh was on art i mean that seems like a pretty good team but i i guess like the lasting impact wasn't humongous outside of because this is different than like the spider-verse stuff that came out with like Miles Morales or not Miles Morales, like uh, Penny Parker and, and all those other characters, mm-hmm. right? This this is a different thing than that. It, yeah, it, it's basically like a follow up event because they make reference to that a couple of times in this okay. book. OK, Um, And like I said, like I, I enjoyed it, but I think that it relies a little too much on existing knowledge of these spider properties to really function 100 percent as like a standalone read. And I think that if I had all the context, because there it's, it's one of those comics that has a lot of the, you know, see this referenced in Spider-Man number blah. Mm-hmm. And if I had been reading Spider-Man and reading this at the same time, I bet that would have connected a lot more for me. But as a, as a standalone read, I'm not sure if that's the way this is really going to click for people. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, you know, Good on you for for picking it back up, at least. (laughs) 
Well, Kate, what about you? How have you been? How have uh, comic books been for you? I'm really good. I have been away from home for the last two weekends, really long uh, road trips, which means I've gotten through a lot of audiobooks and I've had a lot of time to read in the evenings away from home, but nice. I'm very ready for a weekend where I don't go anywhere. In terms of comic books, I read Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Color Classics, Volume 1. This is by Kevin Eastman and art by Peter Laird. This is was like published in like the 80s. And it was Simon's yeah. pick for the 2021 Goodreads Reading Challenge that I'm really trying to get through. I might make it before the end of the year's up. <laughs> yeah. um, this was actually a blast to read. And I'm a little surprised that I am saying that because I've seen the Turtles movies and I always thought that they were like a little bit too cheesy. So I never really oh, no. expected to like the books. Blasphemy. Um, oh my God. Get off this <laughs> podcast right now. <laughs> well, she's right. And she should say it. <laughs> um, this volume sets up the origins of the Turtles. Um, it's pretty familiar in pop culture with the movies and all of the, the stuff, the collectibles. And we meet the four turtles in this book. We meet Splinter. We meet April and even Casey Jones, which is a character that I knew about, but didn't really know who he was. He's really mm -hmm. only in one issue briefly. So, but it was cool to see him so early on. Um, the turtles do discover the origin of their mutation in this volume, which like, I knew that it was an ooze, but I didn't know where the ooze had come from. So you do find out if you read this volume. Mm -hmm. um, there are robots and aliens and Michelangelo saves Christmas. Um, the turtles go into space. So there's some ridiculousness. Like it is pretty absurd and kind of cheesy. Yeah. But yeah, that's like... a lot. <laughs> Wait until I tell you that there are, there's a dinosaur species that can talk. Hell yeah. Hell How yeah. long Turtles, is this? Turtles is awesome. <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty long, but it was quick to read. I I felt like the turtles backing one another up though, and like trying to do the right thing, kind of balanced out the book to be more heartwarming and like team building than it was just absurd. Um, I do have to say that the turtles just all have red head headbands and belts in the first volume, which made it mm -hmm. kind of hard to be like which turtle is which. But then they use each other's names a lot. And they have different weapons. So I honestly could differentiate them better in this book than I have in some of the movies without having memorized like their colors, you know. Hmm. And like now I can tell you that Raphael is the one that always gets in trouble and Michelangelo is everybody's big brother. And I couldn't have told you that before reading this. <laughs> uh, Raphael, I believe, is the rude dude. Uh, yes. Right. <laughs> uh, I, I, might, I literally might be wrong, though. I'm not sure which one. No, you're which. right. You're yeah, right. You're no, right. I yeah, I agree. Well, Kate, I'm glad that you enjoyed it because I I that's like the one book on the list of the of the Goodreads books that I'm kind of like intimidated by, because sometimes you know stuff from the late '80s uh, doesn't doesn't really translate well and it can be really hard to read. But I'm glad to hear and I and I know like earlier Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was like a satire against Daredevil and the Punisher and like those kind of like super grim dark street level oh, yeah. uh, characters from Marvel. So I I was worried that it was going to be a little bit too wild and out there. But to to hear that that you going into it kind of blind and you had a really good time that's actually really yeah. exciting. Maybe I have to put that on my to read list um, very soon because I too am, am trying to get through all the Goodreads books this year uh, and I feel like I'm making pretty decent progress. Like I think I might be one book behind to catch up to the end of the year so um this might have to be the next one i read what did you read mike for me this week uh just to give you guys a little bit of a new jersey weather watch a little bit different for the show um there's a hurricane 
uh, just a little bit east what? of where I live. So it's been raining nonstop for the past 28 hours. And oh. I, if you can't hear it, I, I'd be really surprised. But it's 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 pouring pretty hard and it has been raining nonstop. Um, so fingers crossed. Hopefully everybody, you know, on, in Long Island and up to Boston and Rhode Island and stuff there, everyone's doing fine because I know that that was pretty rush of course if people are listening to this on wednesday the hurricane will have already passed but um still it's been a it's been an interesting couple of days uh but that being said i actually haven't been reading a lot of comics i've been fighting a bunch of podcast website problems so everyone listen to this hopefully you got this episode in your normal podcatcher of choice and there were no problems and everything worked transparently but if not i apologize and uh, please send me an email let me know what your problem was because Long story short, we're having some problems with our hosting folks, and so we're trying to move from our current platform to a new platform that's supposed to be a lot more reliable. So hopefully everything's going clean or going smooth, and I just have to go through and update all of our previous episode show notes so they look nice in everyone's podcatcher. So I've just been doing that and playing Beat Saber and reading Jujutsu Kaisen when I have time. And being and- in a hurricane. You know, well, I mean, it's not like I'm not like the hurricanes like hitting my area. It's just we're getting like the offshoots of the big rainstorm that's coming up near us. But yeah, so I haven't been reading a lot of comics. Instead, I've just been uh, doing a lot of podcast produce- production work, which is interesting, but also very tedious. So um, I did sit down, though, and read uh, Planet Paradise by Jesse Lonergan. Everyone, uh, folks out there may recognize that name from a one shot that Jesse did, um, I think earlier this year called Hedra, which was a little one shot silent um, story about someone traveling through space. It was very beautiful. Uh, Maybe that was last year. I can't remember. Um, Yeah. Thank you, Danny, in the chat. Uh, 2020 is when that came out. It was a beautiful book. Uh, and so I picked up Planet Paradise's book, a uh, little OGN that Jesse had done before that, and I read through it, and it's pretty quick and easy. It's it's a lot of silent pages, um, a lot of really strong anim- animated feelings. Um, Lonergan's art is super bold and really, I, I don't want to say like underdeveloped in this in this volume, but it feels like things were a lot more loose than in Hedra, um, from what I remember. Um, the story has is, is got a pretty solid message about people underestimating you um, with dashes of like tragic spacefaring woes like you'd see in something like Prometheus or Interstellar. Not that there's like a big alien or black holes or anything, but the idea of being trapped alone in space is a core like concept in this book. And it's, it's a little terrifying in that regard. But uh, that being said, it's it's not necessarily like a complex book. Uh, it's not something that has like a lot of staying power, but I thought it was a good enough um, book to read. So I, I would say if you've got a couple extra bucks, maybe throw it at this. But it, the the price tag on the the physical book that I picked up from a comic shop was seventeen dollars. Um, this is pretty short, pretty small, um, pretty average trade paperback. But uh, yeah, it was it was good. I, I wouldn't call it like the best book I read in a month, but uh, it was it was a decent enough read. I would say though that uh, Lonergan's work needs to be seen in a physical medium. I think that the way that this guy works on paper and the way that it's printed um, for both this and Hedra were were both really really solid, like super high quality work. Um, and it was a beautiful read if if it wasn't uh, like a great book overall. So yeah, that's pretty much been me. And uh, I, I've I've been ruminating a bunch of thoughts on like this whole stub substack thing that happened. If anybody out there is like paying attention to the weird, crazy shit that's happening with like James Tinian and, and Donnie Cates and who else? Saladin Ahmed, uh, Molly Ostertag, like a bunch of people got picked up to make comics over at substack. And I've just been trying to formulate some thoughts on it um, and like what it means and why it's good or why it's bad. And I know there's a lot of people screaming and yelling about it on the internet, um, but I'm trying to figure out something to maybe talk about it on the show sometime in the future. So 
yeah, just been doing a lot of thinking, thinking and in production stuff. It's been a whole thing. But let's move on. Let's talk about comics that are coming out this upcoming week. Comics are coming out on August 25th, 2021. What are you both excited for this week? Uh, Let's start with you, Brian. So for this week, I picked Marvel's Voices Identity Number One, uh, which on their, their site they describe as celebrating the greatest Asian superheroes and creators from across the Marvel Universe. Uh, and there is an all-star uh, team working on this, both character-wise and creator-wise. Uh, from the characters, we have uh, Shang-Chi, who is going to be debuting in a, in a movie very soon. Uh, we have Miss Marvel, who is always a delight. Jubilee, uh, possibly a vampire. I don't know if that's still a thing. I can, I can say that in Kelly Thompson's West Coast Avengers, it became not a thing anymore. Cool. Good for yeah. her. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we also have Silk showing up, and, you know, I, I got to see my, my spider folks when they're available. And everybody's favorite uh, card trick master, Jimmy Woo. Uh, who I honestly thought was just a Marvel MCU character, but hmm. good for him. Uh, happy to happy to see him anywhere I can because I love that charming Fed. <laughs> this is the guy for for just for my own memory's sake. This is the guy who was in the WandaVision show, right? Yeah, he was he was the agent that. Yeah, okay, okay. And he, if I remember correctly, he was also in Ant Man. And that's where like the magic trick connection comes from or something where he like, yeah, saw it. OK, OK, I just want to make he sure saw, he saw Scott Lang do a trick like that and then showed it off in WandaVision. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, as for what is going to happen in this book, I have no idea. It's truly a mystery. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm excited to find out. Yeah, it sounds cool. Yeah, I'm excited to read your copy of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, there's there's tons of great talent on the book too i'm excited to see asian american representation you know we have the likes of gene luan yang uh greg pock is going to be writing for it uh obviously cb sapolsky uh is in place <laughs> oh my god <laughs> brian <laughs> it's it's truly like i was looking at a list of the creators and everybody on there is either like South Asian, Southeast Asian, Asian American, and then also CB Sabolsky. <laughs> no, jeepers creepers. Okay, it uh, it just really stood out for some reason. For some reason. <laughs> well, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> okay, we'll just leave that there. Uh, but yeah, Kate, Kate, what about you? What are you excited for this upcoming week? Um, for something completely different. <laughs> uh huh. I'm excited for Miss Butterworth and the Mad Baron by Julia Quinn with art by Violet Charles. And if you're like Julia Quinn, you mean the author of the Bridgerton books? Yes. Um, okay. This I I I do not read Julia Quinn, but I did really like Bridgerton. And based on the description, the couple that is going to be the main characters in this book have been like mentioned in other books, but but maybe they don't have their own prose novel about them, I'm guessing. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of spitballing. But I I mean, this is how I'm going to read Julia Quinn. I mean, let's be real. I'm going to pick off this book um, <laughs> after Bridgerton. Um, just the, the cover of this book alone. <laughs> this looks absurd. Oh, my gosh. It's it's a little goofy. The art the art's pretty cutesy, um, but it's definitely. I mean, it's Julia Quinn. It's got to be kind of a 
uh, an adult romance, right? Like this can't be for, for kids. It's Maybe walking it is. the line between cute and horny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I guess I just really hope it'll bring some some Julia Quinn readers to comic books. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And this isn't the only like, like primarily prose author that I've seen publish comics too. I mean, even way back like 10 years ago when I worked at Barnes and Noble, I had somebody return a book older lady because it was a graphic novel and she just wanted to read like her mystery author, like new prose book. And she's like, this is a comic book. That's not what I wanted to buy. I'm like, but you, <laughs> but you could read it though. But if you read it, maybe you like comics. Please, please read it. Please yeah, read it. yeah. So I guess I'm hoping that uh, Julia Quinn bring brings us new new readers to the to uh, to the comics medium. Well, I hope that this book does it. I I'm curious to see what the actual art in this book is going to look like. So you'll have to you'll have to send me some some snapshots or something if you end up picking it up. Yeah. Um. <laughs> well, uh, I guess before I get into my pick, I want to remind folks that we're still doing that thing this year. You know, if you shout out the show on social media, we will potentially you you could win twenty dollars to your favorite comic shop of choice midtown comics or comiXology whatever you pick so make sure to to spread the word about ircb because one it helps us get the word out about the show hopefully bring in more folks to this wonderful community that we have um and also we, we want you to buy and read comic books so please do that um, our picks from this week on discord our buddy danny's hanging out his pick is superman number 78 uh su- excuse me superman 78 number one my apologies which um, sounds great. I mean, you know, it's those one of those DC flashback books. So everyone's, you know, got to love seeing the the old Superman, I guess, on the page. But uh, my pick for this week is Strange Academy number 12. This is by Scotty Young, Humberto Ramos, and, uh, you know, a bunch of other creators. This uh, once a quarter comic is back. I, I love this Strange Academy series. I remember I picked up a bunch of issues and then I fell off of it and read a bunch in, in one go, which was a huge mistake, apparently, because this book only comes out like once every two or three months, which I guess is fine. Uh, you know, sometimes comics take time to make and I really shouldn't fault anybody for that. Um, but I also wish that this book came out more often or it came out in larger batches. You know, um, I, I wouldn't be mad if Strange Academy moved to like a graphic novel only type format and for those of you who haven't read strange academy it's essentially a handful of teenage magic users in the marvel universe they all seem to be pretty new or newish um characters that maybe if they, if they were mentioned before they were background characters um they all have magic powers and they all go to new orleans to go to this new school run by dr strange um and brother voodoo and a bunch of other magic users in the marvel universe to basically learn how to use their magic powers this has like easiest sell to anyone any young adult type comic book fan um in the world and uh, i'm one of those people who just loves those types of stories i've if you remember last week i gushed all about uh runaways it's the same kind of idea you know a bunch of teens with problems who are running away and have to figure things out and uh, these kids just keep getting into more and more trouble and the mystery that scotty young is building in this book is really really great he's established some really lovable characters with interesting dynamics um and i i just want more of this book and honestly if this book came out once a year and I got 144 pages or 200 pages, um, that'd be great. I would love that. I would love if that was the whole series, but I know that Marvel's never going to switch to that. Uh, it's just unfortunate that I think a book like Strange Academy that probably sells really well, I'd have to look up the numbers, only comes out so it comes out so infrequently that I, I'm constantly forgetting about what happened in the book. Um, so looking forward to this. I absolutely love it. And uh, yeah, I just I just want more of it because it's it's fantastic. It's like one of the first Umberto Ramos books that I've just been drooling over um, in probably a very long time. So 
Yeah, I, I picked up the, the first volume of that off Hoopla uh, mm-hmm. not too long ago. I don't think I actually finished it before it checked back in, though. Rude. Uh, <laughs> does, it, does it grow out of the sort of like, we are kids at this school, and some of us are the bullies, and some of us are picked on? Like, I, I think it does. I think that they... You know, I think Scotty Young establishes a lot of those like mainstay tropes of teenage stories in order to set up some really basic foundation for all of the characters so that they can yeah. overcome all of that stuff in times of adversary, adversity, jeeplers. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think he does a good job of, of set. I know he sets it up and it is kind of like corny, but it does ultimately work out. I think he he does make the story more his own and and lean away from those tropes as the story goes on okay that's good to hear i guess i'll yeah. have to use one of my hoopla borrows to finish that up honestly just wait man just wait till the second volume comes out because you're going to be kicking yourself if you can't get into that second volume after the way that the first one ends that first arc is such a disgustingly good cliffhanger <laughs> i almost <laughs> want to tell you not to read this until you can read more of it you know what i mean yeah that's that's good advice i'll keep that in mind yeah um yeah uh danny suggests getting marvel unlimited so that you can just catch up with all the issues that are out because it's taken so long for the series to come out it's been six months um yeah but anyways we're going to take a quick break uh we have an interview with our good friend david pepos uh to talk about his new kickstarter that's been that's going on right now as you're listening to this episode uh for the oz number two uh i think we also have a plug for a second kickstarter that'll be in the in the middle of the break here so check those out make sure to support those people that are making indie comics we really really love all that stuff at least i do and i'm i'm in charge of so this is my show so um uh just but i do i do believe in both these projects so make sure to check them out and when we come back we're going to be talking about the loki tv show and the this little known series that i think people have heard of called uh loki agent of asgard so we'll be back in just a second Today we are talking to the one and only David Pepos, comic creator extraordinaire, creator of books that I'm sure you've all read, Spencer and Locke, going to the chapel, Scout's Honor. Today we are here to talk about his brand new Kickstarter for the Oz number two. This is a incredible book. I think as of today's recording, they're over 300% funded. Uh, so I'm really excited to hear what else you guys have in stores. So David, thank you so much for being here. Oh, of course. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, of course. Yeah. We're very excited. It's been uh, it's actually been a year uh, to the day since we launched our our our, our first Kickstarter campaign, um, and uh, yeah, we're really excited to see all of our Yellow Brick Road Warriors coming back, and we're really excited to show them what we've had cooking over the last uh, 365 days. Yeah. Um, and that's you know that's the thing i think maybe we should give folks at home a little bit more information the oz you kind of hinted at it this is about the wizard of oz but the world is a little bit different than i think what people are normally expecting when they hear wizard of oz so could you tell us a little bit about like what this book is yeah uh, the best way to describe uh the oz is what if the hurt locker took place in the wizard of oz it's the story of dorothy gale's granddaughter who's a disillusioned iraq war veteran who finds herself stranded in the war-torn land of oz and when she discovers that uh, because her grandmother killed two wicked witches and convinced the Wizard of Oz to leave and then clicked her heels together three times and split, it left Oz uh, in, a, in a power vacuum that's led to decades of brutal civil war. And so now this new Dorothy is going to have to navigate her grandmother's former friends, the tin soldier, the scarecrow, and the courageous lion, as she hopes to survive the horrors of the occupied zone. 
or as the locals call it, the OZ. So, Man. <laughs> you know, if you think about Bad Max, uh, The Old Guard, Fables, uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, you're going to love this book. And, uh, you know, our first issue was The Quiet Issue. Uh, that was sort of mm-hmm. established uh, Dorothy and, and sort of her, her time overseas and sort of the, the alienation and, and isolation that she's felt coming home, mm-hmm. as well as establishing the land of Oz and how it got to this place. Now we've had our vegetables, so to speak. We've, we've gotten all the exposition out of the way. Now we're really able to, to, to put pedal to the metal and really floor it. Uh, so we're going to be exploring some, some dangerous new territories of the occupied zone and introducing some really cool new characters, uh, including our take on the Courageous Lion and uh, Jack Pumpkinhead. Uh, so, yeah, lots of fun stuff uh, happening as Dorothy and, and her sort of special forces start coming together. And, uh, yeah, the, the, the best is, is yet to come for this book. That is extremely exciting for me to hear. I was I just reread the first issue a couple days ago. I should say in preparation for this, and man, I was I forgot like just how much I was sucked into this new world that you've created, a reimagined world, I guess. Uh, it's it's funny that you say that this is going to be that the, that first issue was like the vegetables because I feel like you you amp things up pretty high, especially near the end of that first issue. So I can't even imagine what's going to happen next in this in this second issue. Uh, you know, just uh, I'm very excited. Um, you know, one of the big inspirations behind this book, or one of the big influences, I should say, um, was games like uh, Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy VII. Just mm-hmm. the idea of putting all these archetypes together as a team and seeing how they play off of one another. And uh, our first issue had Dorothy and the Tin Soldier. Really, that was kind of their dynamic is very much kind of the spine of the of the whole series. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, especially now with the Lion and Jack and and uh, our, our our take of the Wizard of Oz. Now we really get to remix things in a really fun way and seeing how these new characters get to impact Dorothy's journey is really fun for me. Um, For sure. uh, Yeah. Just especially seeing the way uh, with the lion artist, Ruben Rojas, that's his favorite character. And so Mm. seeing the ways that, uh, that, that the lion uh, really kind of steals every scene that, that he's in. It's very exciting for me to see it, and I, I can't wait for you all to get to read it. Yeah, I was going to say you've got a you've got a pretty solid team on this book. Um, how did that group all come together for the first one? And I'm I'm seeing that you guys are moving forward to the second one. Yes. Um, so you know, I've I've known Ruben Rojas for a little while now. Um, I saw him on Twitter actually, just answering a call for artists, and I was shocked that nobody snapped him up. Hmm. He's got like a little bit of Sean Murphy, a little bit of Dan Mora. Um, just really, uh, really solid stuff. And so I reached out to him kind of sight unseen. And I said, you know, Ruben, I love your work. Uh, I want to put together a project with you. And so I I pitched him three projects. Um, uh, One being uh, my upcoming sci-fi series, Grand Theft Astro. Uh, The second being uh, uh, another series that actually is getting sort of a second life somewhere else. And then um, the OZ. And I did not know Ruben's two favorite genres were post-apocalyptic and low fantasy. And so this really, like, he immediately was like, I want that one. And, uh, yeah, he just, you know, he's, he's been dominating ever since. Um, you know, he's based in Spain, and that is, that is part of the reason why, you know, we took a little bit of time in between Kickstarters. Sure. Uh, is that, it, you know, that's a COVID hotspot. And so there were some COVID-related uh, production delays on, on, on that end. And not only that, I had my Aftershock series, Scout's Honor, come out earlier in the year, and I didn't mm-hmm. want the two books to cannibalize one another. So I said, we'll, 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 we'll give it a little bit of uh, uh, lead time. Letterer Dave Hopkins, or DC Hopkins, um, as he's professionally known. Uh, I met him at Denver Comic-Con a few years back. Uh, we, we share a mutual friend, uh, Michael Mocchio, a former editor at Boom Studios and now at Universal. And uh, 
Dave is just the sweetest, like most gentle guy in the comics industry I've ever met. Just a real, just a really genuinely decent guy. And uh, we hit it off immediately. And so I was like, well, we have to work on a project together. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, the OZ popped up and uh, you know, he's, he's, he's probably the best letter I've ever worked with. Um, just so gracious and just so talented. And um, he knows that like, when I see a page, I'm like, oh, I overwrote that. He's very gracious when I'm like, I got to cut some stuff out of these balloons to make it a little less oppressive. Um, and then Whitney Kogar, uh, our colorist, she was the final uh, member of the core team to come together. Mm-hmm. Um, colorists are really, I think, the most important part of any creative team because, um, you know, you hear people say art will make or break a comic because it's a visual medium. Well, right. colors are what make or break your art. And so, you know, if you find the wrong colorist, it can sink even the strongest line art, but the right colorist will elevate anything. And, uh, you know, Whitney was another recommendation uh, from, from Michael Mocchio, and she is just terrific. You might know her from the Eisner Award winning Giant Days. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, just like Ruben knows his best angles, Whitney knows Ruben's best shades. <laughs> and she just really breathes so much life into the OZ, particularly the different settings that we're going to have in this series. Uh, Whitney and I talked a lot about Star Wars. Uh, you know, what's sort of the Mad Max version of Star Wars for this series? Mm-hmm where every different location has its own unique flavor and temperature and vibe and high concept and dangers. And Whitney has just been knocking it out of the park. Um, and uh, yeah, you know, it, it's really just a feedback loop. I think between the four of us is that we, we each see each other's work and that inspires us to really step up our A game. Um, That's awesome. So, yeah, you know, I, I'm really fortunate, you know, thankfully I've had the series written for, for a little while now. And so now this is all just the fun part. It's all dessert now. I just get to see the art come in and um, it's, uh, you know, I'm like a kid in a candy shop. It's, it's, it's really fantastic. And I think this creative team makes the OZ, um, if not the best book I, I've ever had the p- privilege of working on, uh, it is 100% uh, one of the most beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it's a, it's an absolute pleasure to read. Like I was, I was flying through the first uh, volume of or excuse me first issue of it yeah. and uh I, I desperately want more so i'm very excited to see what else you guys have in store especially with some of the little preview bits that we've seen on the on the second kickstarter yeah. and uh speaking of some of the stuff on the kickstarter i mean like the you've got a lot of art on there to, to promote it which is fantastic but i you've also got a lot of promises for various pieces of merch and other things that people can get so like as someone i'm assuming everybody listening to this show is going to go and contribute in some capacity to get this book uh yeah. what can they expect if they become a backer of the kickstarter today yeah well so you know we're we really wanted to meet our backers where they're at financially you know I, sure. I know there's a pandemic going on and everybody's got a different kind of budget and so we wanted to make sure that everybody got certain bang for their buck. Um, you know, if you $10 or above, you will get 44 pages of the OZ plus the first issue of, of Spencer and Locke and the first issue of going to the chapel. We'll get, get PDFs of all of those for anybody who backs uh, $10 or more. Uh, mm-hmm. you also get copies of my scripts, uh, Ruben's, uh, raw inks and Whitney's untouched colors, just to give you a little bit of behind the scenes material. Um, you know, uh, beyond that, we will also, um, uh, you know, we've got all sorts of uh, catch-up tiers. If you missed our first campaign, we're able to get you up to speed. Uh, we've got bundled sets of both issue one and issue two, so you'll you'll know exactly what's going on, mm-hmm. um, as well as bundled sets of all four of our covers for issue two. Or if you're a diehard collector who missed the first campaign, we have bundles for all nine covers that have been released for the OZ thus far, um, uh, as well as, uh, you know, uh, the other trade paperbacks that I've worked on, Spencer Unlocked, Spencer Unlocked 2, Going to the Chapel, uh, the upcoming Scouts Honor, which will be available in comic shops everywhere September 8th. 
Um, and, and we will also be offering a, a backer kit store on the back end of the campaign in case you just want to mm-hmm. buy anything a la carte individually. Uh, we've also got some really cool premiere uh, uh, backer tiers, including um, uh, original commissions from Ruben Rojas. And you can see a few examples of those on the Kickstarter page. He did a, a Lion-O from the Thundercats and a Swamp Thing that looked really terrific last time. Definitely. Uh, a, a chance to get drawn into the book. Um, we've got a cool, uh, a couple of cool scenes where you might be a, a, a background character. It's sort of a one-of-a-kind keepsake. Um, Skype sessions with me if you ever want to talk about how to write a comic or how to run a Kickstarter, or how to do comics publicity or how to navigate Hollywood. Um, you can kind of set the agenda and I'll talk about whatever you want. Um, and then some very cool, very limited edition uh, items. Uh, if you're a fan of Spencer and Locke, we have a couple of handcrafted Spencer plushies. Uh, we have them <laughs> made for my creative team. We have a couple left over. Um, uh, those are ultra, ultra limited. You cannot get them anywhere besides me. Um, and uh, my favorite... Um, you know, when Scouts Honor came out, that book was about a post-apocalyptic Boy Scout cult. Uh, we put out um, limited edition Ranger Scout merit badges. We had those uh, a handful of those out to retailers, but mm-hmm. we actually made fourteen of them in total. And so oh. we are we are giving away these never before released. Uh, you won't be able to find them outside of this Kickstarter. We have, uh, I believe, two more sets of the Ranger Scout merit badges. Already, one of them has flown off the shelf. Um, so. Yeah, uh, all 14, uh, ranging from uh, hand-to-hand combat to tactical driving to explosives. Uh, so <laughs> if you want to be the ultimate ranger scout as well as a, a diehard yellow brick road warrior, uh, that is the, the, the tier for you. And uh, yeah, like I said, you know we've got some really cool stretch goals uh, in mind as well. Uh, we just announced uh, our digital comics extravaganza. So uh, when we hit $25,000, uh, Every single backer will get the digital comics extravaganza, which is going to be at least another 10 first issues from a, a murderer's row of independent comics talent. Uh, we've got yeah. people like Justin Jordan, Ryland Grant, Clay Adams, Brenton Linkell, uh, Kat Kalamia. Um, and that's just to name a few names. Um, and uh, I've been really kind of curating these books to find some stuff that if you really like kind of the mashup ethos of the OZ, you're going to like some of the books that we have in store, uh, particularly – Books like Dead Skins and uh, uh, Snow White and Zombie Apocalypse, which are uh, going to be part of the mix there. Um, and, uh, you know, if anybody caught our last campaign, you know, we had a lot of stretch goals and uh, we're going to be repeating that for uh, for this next campaign. If you like enamel pins, for example, you might want to back and share the, the, the campaign. If you like stickers, if you like prints. You might want to back and share the campaign, um, you know. <laughs> and 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 we even, you know, we've we've even prepared for, uh, you know, if if the demand is there, you know, we did have a secret fifth cover uh, in the last campaign. Who's to say that history might not repeat itself this time? <laughs> uh, so yeah, just a lot of fun stuff uh, uh, prepared. Um, you know, that was the last campaign I had no idea if it was ever going to fund. And so I had prepared for failure and not prepared for success. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was not going to make that same mistake twice. And so we've been working really hard for some very cool stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, you know, if, if, if anybody uh, ever wants uh, to, to, to get their own uh, red badge of courage, they might want to back and share uh, the, the OZ and, and tell other <laughs> friends. 
for sure. I mean, honestly, like you've got as of today recording a little bit earlier before the episode that this is in. I mean, 28 days to go and you guys have blown away the the, the initial funding. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where this this train ride goes, because quite honestly, like it only feels like it can drastically go up. I'm, I'm really excited wow. to see what else happens in the Kickstarter campaign. So, yeah, definitely. Everyone go on there. Check the show notes. It's going to there's going to be a big old link down there. Um yeah, David, I'm I'm super pumped about the next issue of this. I'm super pumped to see what you guys do with the rest of the series as well. So fingers crossed it won't be another year um, until issue three can come out. But uh, yeah, I, I really, really appreciate you chat with us today, man. This this is a fantastic looking book, and I can't wait for everyone to get their hands on it. Well, thank you so much for having me. And yeah, everybody listening, you know, like I said, uh, you know, if you missed our first Kickstarter, we can get you up to speed. We've got print and digital catch up tiers. And, uh, you know, every backer counts. Um, for me, it's it's mm-hmm. not about the money. It's about how many readers we can get invested into this series. And um, yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're so excited to be back to Kickstarter. And uh, yeah, just uh, the best is yet to come. I think uh, this is one of the best works i've ever been involved in and i can't wait for you all to see what's coming next for sure you know i guess david one last thing before we go uh where can people find you on the internet if they want to ask any burning questions about the kickstarter or just about comics in general absolutely well you can follow me on twitter and instagram at pepos d it's my last name first initial or david pepos comics on facebook you can also subscribe to my newsletter pep talks at bit.ly slash pep news i send it out once a month just to make sure my family knows i'm still alive uh, and you can visit my website at davidpepos.com. Cool. Well, thank you so much again for talking with us today. Can't wait to see where this book goes. Like I said, I'm I'm a diehard fan of this book at this point. So I'm um, really excited. Um, thank you again. And uh, we're going to jump back to the show. Whatever we're talking about today, I hope it's as interesting as what we David and I have been talking about for the last 10 minutes or so. <laughs> Thanks again, David. Of course. Thank you. Have a great day. Hi, everyone. I'm comic writer Joshua Spiller. And I'm currently running a Kickstarter for my comic Cinevore, which features a boy lost in time, his dinosaur best friend, and a giant sentient T-Rex skeleton as the villain. What's not to love? Plus, the Kickstarter is a test to see if there's a viable way to slash the price of full-length comics to only £2. So, if that sounds like something you'd like to support, please visit our Cinevore page on Kickstarter. That's Cinevore. S-I-N-A-V-O-R-E. Peace out, all. week on i read comic books we're talking about the loki tv show on disney plus so full spoilers for that if you haven't seen the six episode series hit pause go watch that come back and then we're also talking about loki agent of asgard all three trades so if you haven't read that hit pause again uh <laughs> go read that then come back i've uh, actually only read the first volume so well okay well we're doing we're doing full spoilers brian sorry yep. it's just what's happening <laughs> it's fine i'm just gonna pause and go go read that okay good yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, so we're going to be talking about that stuff because, you know, we're as typical, I read comic books fashion. We're pretty late to like everything. Uh, so if you, hopefully you had time to watch this series, hopefully you've had time to read this series that came out, I think in 20, 
2014, 2015. But yeah, this is a, you know, this is one of the series that I think a lot of people are recommending people go and read if they're interested in more Loki stories that are kind of just about Loki doing things that are very similar to the Loki TV show. Um, so I guess to get things started, uh, I guess, Kate, let's start with you. What's your what's your history with Loki before the TV show and before the comic? Like, what were your thoughts on on Tom Hiddleston and the ca- ca- comic book character all in one? I have not read a whole lot with Loki in it. So my experience mm-hmm. was pretty much just the movies that he's been in. And I feel like Loki, I mean, he's been used as all sorts of different kinds of characters, but then he's ultimately always this kind of like trickster at the end of the day. Right. So I went into the show, like having seen um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I kind of knew kind of what the story was going to, like what they were going to do with the character, like focus on him, actually show you who he is, as opposed to just having him play a part in a movie. So mm-hmm. I went in with the expectation that I would spend more time with Tom Hiddleston's Loki. Um, and I did. And it was great. And I really enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> and as for the book, I didn't I didn't really know a whole lot about this book going into it. Um, other than you told me to read it for this, ep- this ep- episode. So <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I guess I was expecting... Uh, more of just Loki. Um, and there was a lot of Loki in this. This was Loki's story, but it was also, um, I- I'm guessing that the issues were released a- along with an ongoing run of Thor and an ongoing event that I think was called Axis or something like that. Yeah. Um, and it felt like it was part of, of an event. And so it-, it was actually like less Loki than I wanted, even though it was Loki. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have a I have a couple notes on that. But before we dig too deep into that, uh, Brian, what, what's your history with with Loki as like the movie character, Tom Hiddleston, and as well as like in the comics? Largely non-existent uh, okay. beyond when Tom Hiddleston became the internet's favorite hottie for a little while. There, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I was very very online during that period of my life, so there was a point in time where I could not see Tom Hiddleston without a Pavlovian anger response but <laughs> thankfully i've i've grown out of that and now i am actually delighted whenever that handsome mug shows up <laughs> uh, because I, I have really been enjoying what he's been doing with the character of loki in the movies um i think that he does a very good job of that sort of like cheeky bastard who you can't help but like mm-hmm. sort of thing which mm-hmm. I think is is the best version of Loki. Absolutely. And had you read any comics with with Loki in them before? I mean, beyond just I I, I don't even know beyond anything. No, I mean he it's it's possible that he's shown up in like a, a one off or something. Um, mm-hmm. I think he showed up as a cat in Squirrel Girl <laughs> when I was reading that. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, <laughs> but other than that, no, no real exposure. So this was this was cool. I did enjoy. Um, I, I felt like there was a lot I didn't understand going into it, but not sure. in a way that made it hard to enjoy or empathize with this character. Yeah. It, it felt like there was, and part of that I think is because the story is about redefining who you are mm-hmm. and sort of like changing your own personal story, uh, which is, is very helpful for a new reader because I don't know what your old story was anyway. So sure. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I mean, that's what makes it work. I mean, like my my history with with Loki has been a a strange one in that I 
I knew of Loki. I've read a bunch of comics that featured Loki as the villain, like in the peripheral, like he's always talked about as the villain. I read a bunch of Thor comics when I was first getting into comics. Um, and I read in particular, there was a there's a little mini series that I owned for years and years and years. And I think I still have it. And it's just called Loki. And it's this it's got a beautiful cover. I think Asad Rebic did the cover of that. And it's just Loki sitting on this throne of stone. And I remember loving that book because it's all about what if Loki won. Right. Which is kind of the funny enough, it's kind of one of the core conceits of this uh, uh, series that we read, Loki, Agent of Asgard, like that idea of King Loki is a core thing of the of the story. And again, for for those of you who are, who are curious, Loki, Agent of Asgard is uh, Al Ewing and uh, two different artists whose name I didn't write down. So my apologies. I'll look that up. Um, they'll be in the show notes. But um, it's interesting to to see like that character come back after a time when I thought Loki, this old King Loki old character would never come back. Um, and of course I, I love Loki in the, in the Marvel universe. I think that Tom Hiddleston, again, like you said, Brian, perfect choice for a character that you love. Who's kind of a, a jerk that you just can't stop smiling at when he's on screen. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat as you guys. So I guess digging into this, um, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the TV show. I, I know like we've, we've, I've, between the three of us, we've all seen probably most, if not all, of the MCU films. Um, therefore, watching the what was it? Was it Infinity Wars or was it Endgame where the, this whole moment kicked off? Uh, Infinity was, War. Yeah. So Infinity War. Uh, you know, Loki gets the Tesseract uh, or Cosmic Cube, whatever we want to call it, and he transforms to another place. Oh, I'm sorry, that was an Endgame. Was it an Endgame? Okay, I thought you meant because uh, the, the the moment of like of Prime Loki's death was in. Oh yeah. So, yeah, so Loki gets, you know, becomes this variant. And this is basically where the show comes from. Um, And I didn't know what to expect because I honestly, like, beyond just the handful of Thor stories that I read, I didn't read, you know, Vote Loki, which I think was another book that people recommended you read, everybody read, uh, Journey into Mystery. I've only read a chunk of that. Um, I've read, uh, I hadn't read Loki of Agent of Asgard. So, like, going into this and i think i read young avengers which is like had young loki in it that's like spun out of journey into mystery but uh, i had no idea what the fuck this this show was going to be about so like i was fully on board for something nice and weird and i think that's what we got uh <laughs> what were your guys' thoughts very much the same uh it was definitely an, an oddball show um but in a way that i really enjoyed i thought that the the chemistry between the characters really helped carry things even when mm-hmm. i was sort of like not really feeling it you know it was even even an episode that i didn't really enjoy the story of it was still very fun to watch tom Middleston and owen wilson like rib each other and joke around yeah i could have watched like just 12 episodes of them just going on capers to figure out who this mystery loki was um, or this variant was before we knew who it was uh, because the two of them together was just an absolute delight. Like we didn't Owen Wilson in that show was just, he was just a dude like acting and it wasn't Owen Wilson being Owen Wilson. I don't know if you guys got that same feeling, but I was like really impressed by Owen Wilson's performance in the show. Yeah. He did a great job. Yeah. The man deserved a jet ski. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Kate, what, what were your thoughts on the show? I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, there were some things that were like very, very comics um, that were like, all mm-hmm. right, I'm just going to accept this and move on. Um, like, you know, the multiverse, for example, um, taking somebody from their from their timeline and 
taking them into an office where they're just a guy. Um, so there mm-hmm. was there was some extra suspended disbelief. That, but I feel like there always is with these with these movies or shows. I really appreciate that. I think at one point they pretty much made Loki canonically by, and I was like, finally Disney, thank you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I I I did feel like. They took Loki from being like one of the primary villains of the MCU and then he, they gave him this show where he's just like a dude and he does try to pull some tricks, um, some light cons. He does try to get away. He does actually get away at some point, but he's not a villain in this show. Um, and I mean, he was kind of morally gray before, you know, I don't mean to call him just a villain, but the fact that this story was about him from his point of view, trying to be a good person was kind of whiplash, but I also really liked it. Yeah. I really liked the, the scene where uh, Mobius Owen Wilson's character is confronting Loki with all of his, his past transgressions. So he's sort of like, yeah, you know, you're Loki, the trickster with your great tricks. Like uh, that time you ripped a guy's eye out of his head and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Just basically confronting him with like, you think that you're just this like mischievous character, but you've been doing some awful things. And here's, here's the best of real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Mobius's character really just slaps him down to like put him in his place in a way to, to break him down. And I I like that. That's kind of his whole shtick. Like he's, he's trying to be this semi bad guy cop in order to get the best out of this variant. And they, they, there was an implication that he, he did that before, right. That he had done that with some other variant had gone wrong. Like, I want that story. Give me more TVA, you know, just to, just to hear about this weird stuff. And I, it's so funny because I think like Marvel putting out this show and then immediately following it up with the what if series is kind of like a, Hey guys, hey guys, guess what's happening? You know, yeah. I, I think that yeah. that's like a, a really funny way for Marvel to like get into the meta of their their universe and, and kind of play around with things. Um, but yeah, there's I, there's just a lot about the show that I that I thought was really cool and like to try to relate it back to this comic. You know, um, it's it seems like that that idea is from the core of Loki, Agent of Asgard, is in the Loki TV show of like you need to change who you are for the better. You don't need to change who you are. Loki wants to change himself for the better, but he feels stuck in his own narrative. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I love the way that that was done in the, in the, comic and to see it kind of change in the see the way things are done in the movie to the point where he has to eventually confront sylvie and be like you don't have to be this person you know we can do whatever we want um also i love you you're me (laughs) you know but uh yeah i don't know i don't know what else did you guys think about that i just i i just found those moments to be really funny um i yeah you said like you told when he told sylvie that he loves her i man I was kind of stuck on like this character is is you though like it was kind yeah. of it was kind of odd but at the same time I mean this is another one of those kind of whiplash things where like Loki knows that he's kind of a narcissist he doesn't really care about people outside of himself until we get mm-hmm. to this move into the, to this show and I feel like on one hand Sylvie like he, him being attracted to Sylvie kind of reinforces that he's a narcissist oh absolutely but at the same absolutely. time he actually like is kind of um, challenging that about himself because he actually does kind of get out of his own head and makes a friend, makes two friends 
um, mm-hmm. tries to help other people when he realizes that they're in trouble and like doesn't take advantage of everybody. Um, so he keeps saying, I'm a narcissist, I'm a narcissist, and then he falls in love with himself, but and then he's really not that that bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I I saw that less of a as less of a narcissism thing and more of a low self esteem thing. Mm. Like it's Aww. it's literally Loki learning how to love himself. Aww. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, it's a it's it's not really Tom Hiddleston. I'm sure Tom Hiddleston is very very full of himself and doesn't have any self esteem problems like Loki. That. But I don't know Tom Hiddleston. I know Loki better. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I I could definitely see that. I mean, and to see the way that Loki interacted with his other selves, like I think we we have to bring up the fact that there was there was probably one of the most interesting moments of Marvel television, as far as I'm concerned, where Loki shows up in the the, the the destroyed other plane seeing five other versions of himself like was that the most absurd thing you've ever seen or what i mean there's a fucking crocodile loki love it (laughs) it was great (laughs) i had i did have trouble believing that that the group of bad lokis would just accept a single leader but you know that's what the story needed it was fine (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah then they all turned on him as soon as they had the option Yeah, I mean, and then we, I mean, and of course, Richard Grant as, as like the, they credit him as, cre- as classic Loki, um, but as like the old Loki, as like the King yeah. Loki, um, like what a fucking casting choice. Holy smokes. Yeah, I mean, the that, casting that, on the show was great top to bottom. Totally. Yeah, that, that final scene with that character as he's, as he's, what's the line that he screams when he was, he's basically putting on the biggest illusion of his life. Like I, I absolutely just love that moment seeing all of these variations of Loki and the things that he could do. And like, it says a lot about like the, the writing of this show that they were like, well, let's, let's get into this character. It's something that you feel like, I feel like you only ever see in comic books and maybe you see it in like, what's that show orphan black right where they are spoilers i guess for the first episode of orphan black but where there's just multiple iterations of a person um and they get to kind of interact with each other and intermingle and you get to see how someone could become or who they could be they all have very similar things about them they all love the color green in this in you know loki's case they all have horns on their head and all that shit but um you know the paths that they all could have taken are drastically different and it's kind of a question of like what little thing could have caused that and yet when they come together you see that they're all still very much the same person they're all going to turn on each other they're all going to be trying to plot and plan and scheme which which does make me think of a line from agent of asgard where loki's talking about shape-shifting and he says that like oh you know it's very hard to turn to somebody else but i can be anybody as long as they're me yeah I mean, and that's, you know, and I guess maybe this is this is enough for us to move into the, to talk about the comic book a little bit. I mean, the, the you know, the core bit of this Agent of Asgard story is is rewriting your own self in order to to better yourself or the idea that gods are just stories told by people and therefore they are just simply narratives that can be rewritten as needed. I mean, I, I love that thing like that. That slapped me right in the face when it was said pretty late in the series. And I just. I, I thought it was a, a profound way to look at the the Norse mythology, the, the mythology within the Marvel Universe. Um, Al Ewing basically saying, like, anything is possible because stories are infinite to an extent. You know, even if the, the idea that stories can come to an end, there's nothing that stops them from being picked back up and carried on. I thought that was a nice way to have that conversation about characters and about characters in like the Marvel universe without getting super meta about it, without stepping out and having Loki look at the reader and say, Hey, you're reading my comic. Like, 
I thought that was a really nice little touch there. Though they did pretty much go that far when uh, King Loki, to escape from his jail cell, just walked out of the panel of the comic. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. I I feel like volume one um, embodied a lot of the things about comics that I like reading comics for, mm-hmm. uh, because you had that example, you know, playing with playing with the layout and making the layout on the page relevant to the story. Um, and then there was also a whole lot of references to pop culture. Like, I think the very first page had like different lyrics to a Wicked song. Um, and then the second mm-hmm. page had a reference to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Al Ewing is is definitely a big, huge nerd. Like, let's let's be <laughs> let's be just serious about that. <laughs> but like, it's it works. I think it paid off in in the Agent of Asgard series to just have those little bits and pieces uh, scattered into it. Because like Loki, Agent of Asgard felt like a book that's just corrupted by events. Right. Like the whole thing basically came out of an event and was interrupted by two events, if I'm not mistaken, like original sin happened and Axis happened within that series. And I think like Al Ewing, as much as that book was affected by the outcomes of those stories, he I feel like he was able to write around them in a way that wasn't disruptive to the comic. Right. They didn't have tying in issues that you needed to read. Instead, it was just like. <clears throat> and this thing happened and uh, we're just going to explain it to you really quick and I, I remember i think there was a specific issue at one point where old loki is talking to young loki and he's like he's making all these references and the, at one point the editor goes i promise this is the last one yeah. <laughs> as they're all the little you know star and double star boxes show up on like every other page for an issue but yeah like that book was plagued by events and yet i felt it was complete as long as you can kind of just roll with some of the punches of like, and in this issues, this thing just changed. You just got to kind of deal with it. But yeah, I mean, it worked. That final arc at least had its own kind of closure, which I thought was great. I really liked volume one, which felt more standalone, even though it was kind of impacted by outside events a little bit. And then I felt like volume three wrapped up fairly well, but I felt like volume two, there was so much tie into different things that it did kind of <sighs> lose me. Like, Every couple of pages, pretty much as frequently as there was a call out, not that or a footnote, um, not that it was necessarily the footnotes that bothered me, but like it was just like, okay, this happened off 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 the page. Um, this is how it impacted Loki in the story. Okay, moving on mm-hmm. to, to the next one and the next one and the next one. So reading volume two was kind of work. <laughs> Yeah. Um, whereas volume one was just a fun ride. Yeah, I have to imagine that Al Ewing had it in a contract or something after these books that he was just like, can I just do something that doesn't have tie-ins? And I think like yeah. Immortal Hulk is that book. It's just a straightforward story um, for 50-ish or 50 for 50 issues. But, you know, even if you look at something like his book that he's on Sword right now and, and Guardians of the Galaxy, both of them have tie-ins and stuff. Uh, I feel like they're not as... haven't been as interrupted by these events as loki was but it's weird because these side these little side books about characters like loki and they just get roped in because everything needs to sell as part of the event and there are people out there who will say oh look this has an access tie-in let's go let's go buy it i i feel really sorry for those people out there who just bought a book that barely even mentions the the event that's happening other than the outcome of an issue but yeah i i i 
ultimately though i felt like even with those things as as like a seasoned marvel reader i think i was able to roll with those punches to get through the narrative that and make this work because the core story wasn't about like for me wasn't what was happening outside of this stuff like his relationship with thor changes dramatically between like three issues and i was like what the fuck like thor loves him and then he hates him and then he loves him again avengers have the avengers have a tower still when when was that a thing I was a little like perplexed by that, but otherwise like it didn't affect what was happening between him and Valerie and him and trying to figure out the mystery of being the agent of Asgard, why he was there, why King Loki was, you know, messing with things. I thought it all worked pretty well. And I, I really, I really enjoyed the last arc of this. I think if you guys only read the first volume, I won't go into the details, but um, I really enjoyed the way that this series wrapped up because it was such a good payoff for all of the shenanigans. I think like Al Ewing was able to write himself out of the hole that was that second volume to say like, you know what? A lot of stuff is happening around Loki, but he is able to craft it in in his own narrative to make it all work. Um, And therefore this story can end with X, Y, and Z. And um, yeah, I thought it was really good. Like Al Ewing wrote himself out of those events in a, in a very smart way that worked within the story itself. I would like to uh, present him with the award for most on the nose character name with uh, Verity, the woman who can tell when she's being lied to. Oh, Verity, that's her name. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't like, even put that together. <laughs> yeah. Her her name is her name translates to truth, like which makes which does make me wonder, like and for anybody else, I'm just going to like roll my eyes and be like, well, that's an on the nose character name. <laughs> mm-hmm. But with Ewing, part of me is almost like, I wonder if there's like a, a backstory where her parents like secretly engineered her to have this power or something like that. And that's why they named her Verity. Mm-hmm. You do see kind of her origins in volume three. Yeah, okay. a little bit. I was going to say, you should you should keep reading and get to that volume three because a lot of your questions will be answered there. Yeah, Verity, I'm definitely going to keep reading. Verity <laughs> yeah. really pays off in volume volume three. I mean, she's great in volume mm-hmm. one and two. Like, she's a really good um, like friend. That's one of the things that kind of happened really fast in this book is that they, Loki and Verity, accidentally meet and then suddenly they're besties. But at the same time, it was great. <laughs> yeah, I thought it's it's weird. Their relationship is kind of is kind of strange to me because a lot of the times like loki loki is not a good friend to her over no. and over and over and then like they'll meet up and she'll be like well i can't believe that you do that and he's like oh but i'm sorry and she goes oh, okay well that's fine here's this other thing that i need to tell you in the scene it's like uh i don't know if that's bad writing or if that's just supposed to be oh loki's charming um which you know they, they make constant references to the fact that he looks like he's in one direction so like maybe that's it maybe he's <laughs> just a good looking guy <laughs> If you think about it, she is the one person on earth who knows when an apology is sincere. Yeah. This, oh, that this is true. Actually, I didn't even consider that. That's that's actually really true. Uh, <laughs> either way, I, I you know I thought you know I don't know how much you guys felt like this comic book connected to the TV series, but I feel like there were kernels that were pulled out of this story um, to make the Loki TV show happen. Um, I don't know wh- what did you guys think. How do you did you think they connected well at all? It's definitely not a one-to-one story. Like, don't read this book expecting the Loki TV show in a book. Um, Sure. But I do think that, like, the things that I found enjoyable about the comic book are the same things that I found enjoyable about the show, even if, like, the charming new best friend is not Verity, it's Owen Wilson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, And, and of course, you've got Loki being a kind of semi-redeemed, self-aware character who's trying to be a better version of the person that he was yesterday. Um, That was that's part of my favorite aspects of this character in both both of these mediums. And then, of course, you've got like the end of time is a is a huge plot point. 
mm-hmm. which isn't even whispered about in volume one, I don't think. I mean, maybe a little bit, but it suddenly becomes very relevant by the end of volume three. Um, but the end of time is like mentioned over and over and over again in the show. Yeah. What about you, Brian? How do you think that there was some connection based on what you read? Based on volume one, not really. I okay. I did not draw any parallels beyond the very basic, like, there are multiple versions of Loki running around. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, I think, again, like, you know, the TV show, we're never going to, we're never going to get like a one-to-one retelling of, of anything on TV or in a movie or anything like that, which kind of frustrates me. Like, I think, <clears throat> couldn't remember if I put it in my notes here, if I put it somewhere else, that like, the idea that Marvel feels like or whoever is running Marvel Studios feels like they have to stray from the comic in some capacity in order to make things quote unquote new is like really annoying to me to the point where I'm like, why, what, what would it hurt to be able to like have a character that relates right back to the comic book? What, what would be the harm? You know, is it like a sense of ownership? Is it a sense of originality? I mean, Marvel owns the rights to all these properties. So why wouldn't you just try to do a one to one? You know, I'm fingers crossed they somehow make this Hawkeye TV show into like a very close adaptation of the comic, but I do not have my hopes set very high for that at all. But I, I just want to be able to continue a story directly from either a comic book into a TV show or a TV show into a comic without it feeling like a TV adaptation or a comic book adaptation like that's really corny and low budget and no one cares. You know, I think that the potential is there. The comic books are good. The the the, the they they are ripe for this type of stuff. And if Marvel is in, insistent on adapting them, I just want them to do an actual adaptation. And again, adaptation can mean inter- reinterpretation. I totally get that. But I, that just, I feel like it sucks when you're trying to say like, hey, here's a TV show. It's really, really good. And then someone says, oh, is there more stuff of this character? And you're like, yeah, kind of. Like I couldn't point anyone at a Loki book that I know of that's like, yeah, this, is, this feels like a good connection. Because like you said, Brian, coming into the first volume, I think if you gave this to someone after they finished the TV show, they'd be like, what the hell is this? And uh, they probably wouldn't continue when it's unfortunate because like the end, like the third act of this run actually feels very connected to the development of the character um, in the show as well as in the comic. Like Loki wanting to change for good in order to actually have a life that's not preset by people's idea of who he is. Yeah, and I, I, I do think that that vibe kind of like goes between the two. Like there's there are some sort of emotional parallels much more so than literary parallels. Yeah. But I'm just I just want to not have to think about my books, Brian. Just <laughs> You've come to the right place, Mike. I know, I know. Well, yeah, I don't know. Do you guys have any 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 last thoughts about this? Anything else you wanted to touch on that we haven't gotten to yet? Jonathan Majors, uh I did not care at all about Kang the Conqueror before seeing him in that role. Now I mm. care a great deal about <laughs> Kang the Conqueror. Right, right. Because right, right. he blew me away in that last episode jonathan majors is a fantastic actor i i loved him in lovecraft country and i did not did not know that he was going to be in the loki tv series at all um and then when he showed up i like jumped out of my chair like kelly was like stop we're trying to watch this show and i'm like i can't believe i'm pointing at the tv like i can't believe that this guy is in this show right now i was very excited about that but he was he was announced uh cast as kang for uh ant-man quantumania oh okay a while ago uh i don't remember if that was 2019 or 2020 now Mm -hmm. so like i i knew that he was in the mcu as kang but i i did not expect him to show up at the end here very cool that he did though like i loved the way they pulled that off 
yeah, that that last episode of of the show was was very interesting with the whole. I mean, I've seen so many stupid like people timing things of of like different movies lining up at the same time. I'm just like, oh god, like this is too much. No one, no one should be doing this. But yeah, I, I liked, I definitely liked his his portrayal without saying that he was Kang. Um, I I liked the implication there. Uh, Kate, any any last thoughts from you? I mean, I really enjoyed both of these stories. They're just different stories. <laughs> That's pretty much what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Well, hopefully, you know, maybe we'll have to read some more Loki books and maybe revisit this or, or something. But regardless, I'm very excited for season two, um, whenever that comes out in two or three or four years. Who knows? Yeah, agreed. Um, but uh, I, I really hope that they can they can pull off like a really fun conclusion. Maybe it's not going to be a five, six season long thing. Maybe they just do two seasons because of, you know, COVID and everything. They had to short shoot, you know, bring everything down for shooting. But yeah, I'm really excited for what comes next in this. Uh, well, yeah, I guess um, I guess that's the show. I guess that's what we'll wrap up here. Next week's topic, we're going to be talking about the Goodreads book of the month, uh, Promised Neverland Volume 1. So make sure you read that volume before we jump into that. It's going to be really fun. I think it's going to be me and Kate and someone else. We're going to figure out who's going to be in the episode still. still. But um, beyond that, uh, make sure you follow us all on Twitter. You can follow Kate at Kate Elfier. You can follow Brian at Brian Head. And you can follow me at Mike Rappin. And uh, you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast, where I try to post semi-regularly on both Twitter and Instagram. This episode first aired on Patreon and is possible because of our wonderful patrons. Join today for exclusive series like the IRCB Movie Club, Saga of Saga, Giant Days of Our Lives, and more. You can do that over at patreon.com slash ircbpodcast. And if you haven't already, please rate and review our show. Give us five stars. You know we've earned it. You can do that on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It'll really help us spread the word about the show. Join the IRCB Discord community to check comics and more, and listen to our episodes live as we record at ircbpodcast.com slash discord. And it would help us a lot if you tell your friends or your local comic shop about the show. Infinity Shred is the best band in the universe. They do all of our music. Xander is the cool guy who makes this show sound oh so nice every week. We can't thank him enough for his efforts. Uh, thanks to Danny for hanging out with us in the Discord chat live. Thanks for everyone who listens to the show. Uh, thanks to Brian and Kate for being on this episode. And until next time, comics are good. And so are you. Bye.